Hollywood, I think, yeah, contributed a lot to this uh, caricature of uh, Native Americans. But, yeah, generally our stories have been mistold. And uh, so most Americans are really uninformed as to uh, what happened to the indigenous peoples that were on this land. Because what is at stake is their lands, the lands of, uh, that, uh, that Americans are now living on. The whole status of uh, genocide being committed upon the native peoples by the Europeans and uh, the subsequent uh, takeover of lands of, of the people that were here. I think Americans really generally don't want to hear that, don't like to talk about it, because it again, I believe, it threatens their economy, threatens their, the land holdings, the lands that they're living in. But really, uh, indigenous peoples are living in occupied America. Let's start with the history of the Pueblo people. Are you coming to New York, or is this totally by Zoom and all that kind uh, of I am coming to New York. You know, every year, the United Nations hosts a permanent forum on indigenous issues, and that's upcoming in the next two weeks. So I will be there. But we are having a webinar on colonization land decolonization. That's next Wednesday. When you think of Pueblos, you think of the houses with no door. You go through the roof door. Yeah, let me describe indigenous people's presence here in southwestern United States, particularly New Mexico. The Spanish were here almost 100 years earlier before the English settlers. And um, I think it was in 1540 that Coronado, in search of gold, came up from Mexico now Mexico, into this territory where we're living today. And he saw villages that were like almost, I suppose, modern-style condominiums, long rows of buildings, all interconnected. They were maybe two, three, and four stories tall. But they were all homes of indigenous peoples here. And the people were farming. They had an agricultural lifestyle. And so when the Spaniards saw these communities, uh, they equated it to their homes in Spain. And hence, they gave the names of these communities Pueblos. So Pueblos is a foreign word. It's a Spanish word. Every place where they came to and where they began to enforce their uh, lifestyles, they named those Pueblos after their Spanish saints. For example, Pueblo de Sandia. That's right next to Albuquerque, Northern Pueblos, Pueblo de Santa de Fonsos, Pueblo de Santa Domingo, Pueblo de Santa Ana. All those are Spanish names that the Spaniards imposed upon these villages. Fortunately, Acoma retained its original name. Aco is the name of our Pueblo, Aco. Spanish documents, I've seen spell it A-C-O, Aco, or maybe A-C-K-U-M-E. Something like that signifies a place prepared for our people. And we've been living on this mesa top for over a thousand years. But when the Spanish first entered New Mexico, historians uh, like to say that there were probably 90 surviving indigenous communities, the so-called published by Spaniards. And now today there are 20, 20 left. Most of them, again, live along where there's a river, the Rio Grande. And Acoma Pueblo lives to the west. 
it's interesting to note that uh, when this Spanish conquistador, his name is Don Juan Oñate, came upon the place that's known as El Paso in between New Mexico and Texas. He proclaimed the land for the king and crown of Spain, and all the possessions that were in this territory were to be for the king and crown of Spain, and all the people were to be considered as vassals of Spain. So along the way, you know, he comes up the corridor of the, of the Rio Grande and encounters indigenous villages. He came to Acoma in 1598. I just was looking at uh, the document today. It's called the Treaty and Obedience of the Vassalage of Acoma Pueblo. Spanish were good scribers, escribanos. They were good writers, almost like journals that they were as if they were proceeding through the land. So this is one one document that exists. Obedience and vassalage of Acoma. It this, this was is in it in Spanish? Petush, can I ask you that? Spanish. Petush, yeah. oh, it's Spanish. Of course, it's been translated. At the time, was it in the Acoma language? No, of course not. It was, uh, but you know, I mean, Spanish is like to uh, elaborate. Uh, yeah. They said that there was a, in order to get, gather this obedience from Acomas become servants and vassals of, of Spain, uh, they, uh, they, in this document, they, they say, oh, there was an interpreter. Also, the leaders, you know, all assembled on top of this mesa. Uh, they all sat uh, listening to us, and we proclaimed that, you know, we were under the rule of God and that we were going to bring the Catholic faith to them. And so all, supposedly in the document they say it was translated and that the Akamas willingly acquiesce to this subservient to Spain. So he goes on to say, oh, well, they accepted our rule over them, and they were going to just comply with all of the requests of the king and crown. Well, this is October of 1598. A couple months later, the Spaniards came back to Acoma, demanded uh, food, probably uh, materials, uh, maybe even women. But anyway, there was a battle. And Acomas killed 13 Spanish soldiers. In revenge, Don Juan Oñati came back with canyons and uh, soldiers and ascended the mesa top and destroyed the Acoma village. As a result, survivors were held as captives and taken to Santo Domingo and put on trial for causing this battle and killing the Spanish soldiers. As punishment, our surviving men over 20 had at one foot cut off. Uh, the women and children were enslaved for 20 years, and the village burned and, and destroyed in 15, that was 1599, January. So that's what happened at this great war on top of Acoma. Of course, we're still there today. It was occupied very quickly, even though we like to say that we are the oldest continuously inhabited community in North America. Many Acomas did not know that this great battle had occurred. We're surviving Spanish conquests still today. The other pueblos were also treated much brutally as Acoma villages were burned and destroyed. And so during 1580 Pueblo Revolt, the Spaniards were driven out of Santa Fe. Some people like to describe it as the first successful or maybe the only successful American revolution. Uh-huh. And the Spanish yes. were driven out of New Mexico. There was a okay. famous leader of that. Well, the Pueblos, uh, supposedly a plan was developed by a man from one of the northern Pueblos that his name 
is Popeye. So Popeye gathered some young runners and they tied knots, a week's day of knots on a rope. And they were taken to the villages and pueblos throughout this area here. Supposedly on the last day when that each knot was supposed to be removed untied every day. When the last knot was untied, then that was the day of the Pueblo Revolt. <laughs> so Great idea. They, they were driven out. But what always, uh, I think, is not understood is why the Spanish were allowed to come back into this area here. But 10 years later, they came back. Perhaps there was much more a stronger military presence. They were allowed to remain. And some of the stories go that the indigenous peoples here uh, felt sorry for these people because they came with their women and children and uh, felt that they could live peacefully side by side. Eventually, what has resulted, the Spanish took over and dominated the indigenous peoples here. And really, so the essence of colonialism really began, the presence of settler colonialism in this area began then, mm-hmm. at the invasion of the Spaniards in, in this area here after they were driven out from the, during the Polar Revolt. Right. Patush Gilbert, who's joining us from outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, at the uh, Coma Pueblo. Um, uh, now, recently, there was a story out of uh, maybe a year ago or so, right after the events that happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis, there was a confrontation over, I believe, a statue of this Oñate, the uh, the, the Spanish uh, general who uh, massacred people and destroyed villages, and that led to a conflict. It was a conflict between different groups of New Mexican people of different narratives of that area, and and somebody got shot or something at one point, wounded. It was an attempt yeah. to tear down the yeah. statue. Yeah. Well, you know that uh, especially the uh, indigenous activists, uh, of course, are always have been fighting all forms of colonialism. In this case, you know, Onyati, because he was such a brutal governor of, and the destruction of our village at Akama and the ensuing punishment by having the foot cut off, yeah, yeah. which eventually was removed by, this, by, by the Spanish government because of his brutality. So these statues that, uh, and, you know, were, uh, were, were developed and really made by uh, the victors. And the Spaniards, you know, because they like to say, oh, we're proud to have conquered this area here and we're going to recognize our our, our leaders. Uh, so especially this, this Juan de Oñati was, yeah. was singled out. And so you saw monuments to him uh, in northern uh, New Mexico at Española. There's a, a, a bronze uh, equestrian statue of to Onyati, uh, uh, as one of our uh, activists, cut the foot off at one time. So, uh, it was <laughs> unknown as to who cut the foot off. Sad. Um, at, uh, just to remind people of what occurred at Acoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, other subsequent statues uh, went up at the University of New Mexico, and that was defaced by uh, tomatoes uh, signifying blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest story that I participated in, uh, my nephew uh, uh, was one of the speakers in a video. Uh, it is called, uh, let me see, The Last Conquistador. So The Last Conquistador 
is the making of a bronze equestrian statue uh, devoted to Onyati. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so that film, that's what it's about. Uh, yeah. People could probably find it on uh, YouTube. Uh-huh. The um, Last Conquistador with your, co- with your nephew. Your nephew's in it. <laughs> My nephew's in it. Right. Uh, anyway, the statue went up in El Paso. It now, it now stands out uh, outside at the gates of the El Paso International Airport. When it went up, uh, activists from ACMA and the supporters, allies, all went down there to protest. <laughs> so that's, that's in the video. Yeah. Um, but all these kinds of actions uh, you know, have taken place. Mm-hmm. The last popular, popular one occurred in Albuquerque, the one you're referring to. Uh, that there's a, a bronze statue again outside. I think it's the National, I mean, the Albuquerque Museum of Natural History. And um, I did participate in a video uh, regarding that statue when it was being uh, e- uh, erected. Anyway, uh, I forgot. A couple years ago, uh, some, I think it was led by non-Indigenous peoples, uh, but anyway, of course, some public people were there. But uh, attempts were made to, to tear down the statue. Somebody took a rope or a chain to it. And I think they were trying to pull it down. And uh, as, a, as a result, you know, there was uh, some kind of demonstration. I, I, I heard somebody got shot. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I think the city of Albuquerque finally council maybe acted to, to have it removed. I, I can't remember exactly what happened to it. Right. So we're still raising these issues of what the Spanish uh, invasion did to the Pueblo yeah. people. Well, why isn't uh, that? Uh, let me because the general issue of, has come up about uh, whether or not these and they're going down all over all over America, all over the southeast. All these uh, monuments they built in the 1900s to the Confederate. Uh, you know, basically traitors and racists and fascists and all, you know, slave owners, what have you, that, that were built all over the South. They're being torn down after a, a bloody confrontation like in Charlottesville and a lot of counter protests by the Klan and right wingers and all of that. But down they're coming. Why? Why is it? Why aren't these statues? One was in front of the Historical Society. One, why aren't these statues uh, legitimate historical, uh, you know, uh, monuments or things to uh, consider from that perspective? Well, uh, look at it like this. Uh, history is written by the victors. So you see the censorship of uh, uh, indigenous people's uh, stories about their survival, or you don't see uh, stories of indigenous people's uh, uh, genocide committed upon them and all of North America being stolen from them. Uh so what what really has occurred is this whitewashing of uh, American history, and uh, the victors celebrating all of uh, I suppose their accomplishments and con- coming as a result of conquest. So you see uh, all the many of the names uh, of places, whether it be uh, rivers or mountains, or all the victors' names. Right here in front of Acoma is Mount Taylor. Uh, <laughs> devoted to a name for Zachary Taylor, one of the U.S. presidents. And, of course, Ackermans have their own name for it. Um, so, you, again, so you see the victors putting up monuments to themselves. Yeah. And uh, they're celebrating, I suppose, their accomplishments and their, uh, their, 
their survival, their survival today, and and seemingly proud of it, and want to and want to demonstrate that uh, as being well, we're the victors, and well, all of have these uh, uh, monuments to to ourselves. Uh, there was another monument that went up outside of uh, at, the, at the University of New Mexico about this uh, in encounter of uh, of peoples coming coming together here in the Southwest and perhaps even to the Americas. Well, it was it was uh, one of the Hauser uh, Hauser uh, artists uh, just depicted that on a bronze a metal uh, art artwork. Uh, Almost one story tall, uh, equally as long, but 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 along the top of the of his artwork, he put concertina wire across it uh, because again, you know, uh, right. the invasion of indigenous people's land mm-hmm. and uh, the concertina wire meant well. We had to uh, try and oppose invasion. Yeah. Well, the university the University of New Mexico disliked that. And sued and sued to have it removed, and they actually had the artist actually had to remove it because he didn't he didn't propose that in his original design. Oh. So you've always got this kind of confrontation uh, against colonialism. Uh, consider uh, for uh, like Leonard Peltier, yeah. another artist uh, has put together uh, uh, life size, maybe larger than life size. Uh, uh, sculpture of of Leonard Peltier, and uh, it it was housed at one time outside American University in in Washington D.C., but there were so many protests, um, and some by the FBI because of the killing of an FBI agent supposedly yeah. by Leonard Peltier, that uh, they were uh, Rigo Twenty Three was told to remove it. So he removed it. It's now housed in Los Angeles. So you've got actions and instances today in uh, indigenous people's opposition to what has happened to them and the failure of the United States to account right. for their actions of, of destroying indigenous people's lands and just totally changing their lifestyles. Right. Patouche Gilbert of the Acoma Pueblo. Um I was hoping maybe some folks would want to call in and have some questions. Um, we're we're connected by the internet. Um, my last time I checked, uh, people should be getting us all over the place. Uh, so our our number is uh, on air number is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven for listener calls two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We're talking about colonialism, especially the colonialism that happened right here in America, in the United States, where the European settlers came and pushed the Native Americans off the the Native Americans. That's a you know I the Indians. I I I come to Indians because Native American to me is like you know America was after the Indians came. America is some Italian guy. Amerigo Vespucci. It could have been Vespucci land if one they used his last name. It would be a very different country. Uh, so I mean to say then when we say Vespucci African Vespucci it's uh, you know uh, <laughs> Italian Vespucci it's uh, uh, native Vespuciists we'd be saying and I, I don't say that tongue in cheek. Um, why did they use his first name and not his second name? But that point is 
that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years after a village that you live in, Oklahoma, a thousand years old, continuously inhabited for a thousand years. 212-209-2877. Should white Americans be ashamed of their history? Should European Americans? Well, you know, at at least they need to uh, understand it. And uh, to know uh, whose land that they're living on and why indigenous people continue to to say, well, we live in our occupied America on our own land. Mm -hmm. And all these ensuing rules and policies of the colonizers exist today. And that's why we remain colonized. Neo-colonialism is is continuous continuation of the initial colonialism, right. and you're meant to and survive under the thumb and rule uh, of the United States in 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 this instance. Okay. Historically, you know the, the Indians, you know, were were subjugated to to obey the rule and law of the United States, and all of the welfare had to come from the U.S. Uh, and so they like to pro- historically they were proclaiming that the president of the United States was the great white father in Washington, D.C., who oh, the right. Indians, you know, went How about to the great orange father? Like, the great, that would make Trump the great orange father, because <laughs> he has an orange. Yeah. Right, hey, we got a lot of calls coming in. Let, let's go to the calls. Patush Gilbert, you're on the radio. Welcome to BAI. What's your, your name and where are you calling from? Uh, my name is Paul. I'm from the Bronx. You know me, Paul yeah. Gilman. Oh, hey, Paul. Great to hear from you. So, uh, yeah, any question but, or comment for Patouche Gilbert, uh, hailing from Acoma Pueblo there in uh, New Mexico? Yeah, I mean, I know I've been to um, the Jumping Boat property twice. Where's that? Explain what they, Explain that to folks who might not know that. Okay, the Jumping Boat property is where uh, Leonard Peltier, the incident of Oglala, happened. Mm-hmm. That's in the book that I was just talking, Spirit of Crazy Horse, incredible. Uh, right, that that's story, all right? about that. So you've been at, and so this was the, the land where where the infamous shootout happened that uh, it was so difficult to find somebody. I mean, there were no witnesses, and uh, Leonard Peltier was uh, railroaded in one of the most uh, horrendous, uh, poor excuses for a trial in American history. They just railroaded him without any evidence. I'm in the New York City Leonard Peltier Offense Defense Committee, mm-hmm. and I know the full story. Basically, uh, to his cousin, Bob Robbie Dew, and another native, uh, Dino Butler, were actually also arrested for it, tried before Leonard was, and found innocent based on self-defense. Mm-hmm. So there's no ballistics evidence, there's no um, forensics evidence, linking it other than he was there everybody was there there was like 20 people trying to kill the aim american indian movement people and there was like a shootout between the people i wanted to bust up the reservation and the ones i wanted to support the traditionalists well yeah we have some more calls coming in i'm going to jump ahead i want to ask i want to ask your guest a question all right patush gilbert go ahead hi Hi, Gilbert. My name is Paul. It's an honor to meet you. Hello. Um, I, I read Frank Waters' book, um, Book of the Hopi. Right. And he he talks about when the first Diné come there. Have you read that book? Uh, no, I haven't. I know the writer. I know what he writes about. 
Okay, well, he claims that Navajo is like a, a bastardization of a Hopi word for a head smasher or a head crusher or something like that. And well, uh, Navajo. Go ahead. What? You, so is that your Go question? Ahead. No, no. What he's saying is that according to the Hopi was there first, and of course the, right. the Diné reservation surrounds the Hopi. Okay, and I I don't know if they 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 get along or something. There's not that many Hopi. What's the question? Well, the question is they claim um, that the Hopi, you know, uh, a Dene first showed up. He was all like in terrible shape. The Hopi nursed him back. Then he went back to where they were from, probably in around Alaska. Right. I have more calls coming in. Folk, can you okay. make it more question? Make it a question, please. Yeah, so what do you think of all that story? All right. We'll go. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you for, for uh, that comment and observations. And, you know, indigenous peoples have been in America tens of thousands of years. So they were moving around. Uh, uh, the Navajo people are the latest arrivals. The Navajos and Apaches, as nomadic peoples, were the latest arrivals of people in this area here. So you're talking about... Uh, southwestern United States. Uh, here in New Mexico and Arizona, the Pueblos were here for thousands of years. The Navajos came in uh, very recently, uh, probably archaeologists say after 1,000. Well, the Pueblos were already here. The Hopis were already here. We, the Hopis and the uh, Pueblos in New Mexico are related. We have the same culture, the same customs, the same religions. But, you know, uh, politically we are different. But, yeah, the Navajos uh, and the Hopis and the other Pueblos all fought. There was uh, battles between uh, the Navajos because they were intruding upon Pueblo land. And uh, the Navajos' uh, word that they were talking about for the Pueblos called them Anasazis. Uh, That word uh, uh, translated as ancient enemies. So we did not get along with the Navajos. Today we do. Right. Ancient history. Very interesting. We have so many calls coming in. I'm going to go to the next call. You're on the radio. Your name and where are you calling from? Your name, where are you calling from? Caller? Hello? Wait. Hi, your name. Where are you calling from? Hi there. Hi. Love to talk to you tonight. Right. Good Thank stuff. You. Thank you. Thank you. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Flemington, New Jersey. Mm hmm. My name is Rose. Let me turn the radio down. Yeah, it's a delay, so uh, it would be very confusing. It's okay. (laughs) Very confusing. Listen, it's a wonderful show tonight. Uh, I want to make a couple of comments about um, the idiot George Bush who decided to, how many thousand years after the Code Walkers had defeated World War II, decided to publicly announce that they were going to give them a... uh, you know, a reward for their their good service to Americans' war efforts. Uh, Why didn't this idiot understand that if he kept his big fat trap shut, it could have been used again? It was the most successful thing that our Native people have done. And what was that again? The um, 
the code walkers. Oh, the code walkers. The uh, code talkers. You mean the uh, the code the the folks who helped in World War Two in the uh, yeah Pacific... yeah World War Two. Right. George decided using the, the Navajo language was used as a uh, or the Dene language was used as a uh, yeah yeah it, uh, it was a secret code because but... that's the one thing they didn't know. <laughs> they didn't yeah, know and, the, and here's this idiot George Bush. Uh, saying, oh, well, let's give him a reward. I mean, you know, 40 years too later, whatever the hell the time span was. But the other thing is that this is the same George Bush who invited Putin up to his estate up there in Maine, looked into his eyes and said, I looked into his eyes and I love that man. I'm sure yeah? he did. Yeah? He saw something he liked. So, uh... Well, that's what I- yeah. So, but do you have a question for Patouche? Put something in a. In a well, we have such just a source to tell here. Patouche, but there are a few folks here in New Jersey who follow their heritage uh, from the Delawares and the Lenape's down to the creeks and to the Walk of Shame that was put on the indigenous people. It's it's just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Some Very, of us yeah. are just so thrilled that you're doing what you're doing tonight. And bless him for being there, because it's about time America got the truth. My mother's family, on my maternal grandmother's side, had American Indian roots. I mean, it wasn't discussed. Her nose was rather large. But my grandmother, and, and my mother always talked about, why don't you see the Black Hills of South Dakota? Never made it, of course. But we owe so much to our native ancestors. It breaks my heart to have the likes of trashy people like George Bush muck up more than one of a senior event for fun and profit. Well, I thought one of the most amazing things was uh, uh, Donald Trump giving that Sturm and Drang speech in front of Mount Rushmore as a background. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like old that was, crowd that was, that was a message. That was as direct a message as you could take. All right, great. Thank you very much, caller. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. And we have Patouche Gilbert of the Acoma Pueblo joining us from New Mexico. Our number here, our call-in line, and if folks are listening in New Mexico or anywhere else, they could call in 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. I know it's important to keep numbers are hard to get on the radio. They just are. So that's why we repeat it a lot because people think they got it and they don't get it and they didn't get a pen in time and all that kind of thing. So it's 212 Two zero nine two eight seven seven. You should have that in your speed dial. Two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. That's the number. So that said, um, yeah, uh, yes. Well, uh, uh, let me comment on the last speaker. Yes, uh, he was referring to the code talkers of Navajo. Yes, uh, uh, and remember that uh, President Trump also invited those uh, code. Re- surviving code talkers to to Washington, D.C., and so he really used them. He uses them. Well, he, he used everybody yeah. uh, for his own purposes. So it was just a superficial right. way of acknowledging the contributions of indigenous peoples, you know, in World War II. Um, and so uh, I think also uh, people like you should listen again to uh, Johnny Cash's song of Ira Hayes. Uh-huh. You know, Ira Hayes, again, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Raising the flag on uh, Iwo Jima, and uh, him dying on his own homeland, uh, um, and really, it, 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 it was the water rights was stolen, 
and I, I just really have <laughs> always just enjoyed Johnny Cash's song and his tribute to Ira Hayes. Right. But that's how yeah, it's yeah, angry song. Good. He's angry in that song. We'll play it afterwards. It yeah, he's angry. That's the angriest I've ever heard the man in black. When he writes, when he sings that song, it's pretty amazing. The Ballad of Ira Hayes, and uh, uh, well, we have a call coming, in, and then I wanted to ask about how uh, how folks in the pueblos have been dealing with the whole the last two years, what we've all been dealing with in the last two years, the medical emergency hitting the United States. But uh, we have a caller coming in. Your what's your name and where are you calling from? Yeah, hi, hey. Uh, greetings to the beloved family, such as we are. This is my act in the grotto. Um, I have a point of clarification and then uh, a question um, to produce. Uh, first, if those of us aren't on Twitter but interested Wednesday, and the time wasn't mentioned, I believe it's in the evening, how can we... Um, get a link. Maybe there's a general page, Paul, of BAI that you could put it on. I, I, I don't know, but some of us aren't on Twitter. Right. Well, the, um, the Twitter feed, BAI's Twitter feed is actually uh, shown on the front page of WBAI.org. So when you post something to at WBAI and it's accepted, it goes on our front page and you can read it there. So in other words, if I go to WBAI.org on Wednesday and mention the time, uh, I'll be able to link on to hopefully. the... Hopefully, um, hopefully. Well, we're going to try and get your pen now. We're going to give the information out in a minute. Uh, okay, thank okay, you. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a minute. Yeah. But my question um, concerns his response to a, a definition by Joseph Polanski, your personal horoscope 2022. He's a, a very interesting astrologist. And he, he defines um, karma. He says, karma is the law of cause and effect which governs all phenomena. We are all where we find ourselves because of karma, because of actions we have performed in the past. The universe is such a balanced instrument that any act immediately Sets corrective forces into motion, hyphen karma. So my question is, because we seem to see the world unraveling, you're talking about DT, but he, he was a criminal and white supremacist and crazy person and sociopath and and Pandora's box. I hate well, him. DT, it took me a while. To... And, and too many Americans Donald Trump. loved him. So I want his response is... The type of mass psychosis we see coming on the land, and there's an excellent Nexus article in the um, uh, mass psychosis and the rise of totalitarianism. So my question is, do you also see this as an issue finally coming to the fore as karma? And I'll listen over the air, and I'm going to grab my pen in a minute to get the, uh, right. the link. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, good question. Is this the law of karma? Do we are we in an era where uh, uh, the, the 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 basically the lions will sleep with the lambs, or the lambs will eat the lions? Maybe. Well, you know, I, I look at it as, as, as a real challenge for uh, the existence of humanity, and uh, where do we proceed in in our future together? Uh, that we're all intertwined. I think indigenous peoples knew this. 
And uh, in fact, one of the prophecies of Akama is uh, that uh, uh, Indian people and the white people, the dominant society, will come back together. They had parted. They had parted a thousand, thousands of years ago. But uh, their prophecy was that they would emerge back together again mm-hmm. uh, as a family. And that family then has to decide how to survive uh, mutually together. And uh, so that is really the, the challenge of all of us today. I believe that indigenous people's uh, contributions can uh, help all of humanity because, you know, we're, we're, we know, we realize that we're all interrelated and that all of our relatives uh, not only include humans, but uh, the, the plants, you know, the animals and that our, our way of life is intertwined. And that's why indigenous people like to say, use the word uh, Mother Earth, that we are here as humans on this land because of the great spirit giving us the land and all of Earth to survive on. So Mother Earth takes care of us. We need to take care of her. We are intertwined together. And uh, that's the contribution, I believe, that the indigenous philosophy, way of life, can do much to... Uh, garner the existence of all of our humans into the future but because of so much disrespect for each other we've never been able to accomplish this uh co-survival together and we must if we're going to uh, continue to survive together right well you know they just tested the satan missile yesterday which carries 10 warheads you know that was that's the russian missile the united states has plenty of its own and uh, with just as capable just as uh well made just as uh dangerous to the universe to the survival of humanity and of course from your part of the country of the land has come the uranium which is stripped from the earth and and used to build the atomic arsenal of the united states right I mean, and right. I'm yeah. sure the indigenous uh, people of Russia had to live through the same thing there, too. Well, you know, in New Mexico, uh, the development of the atomic bomb was, was, was held here. And to this day, you know, the Indian National Laboratory, uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory, continue to research the development of so-called smart nuclear bombs. And this is terrible. You know, we should be all anti-nuclear. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, money talks. So the, the state of New Mexico is addicted to nuclear monies, uh, yeah. all because you know it, it goes into so-called jobs and revenues, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and they're going to rebuild the nuclear system here. We're getting a call coming in. You're on the radio. What's your name and what's your question? Where are you calling from? Hey, it's Russ up in White Plains. A point of clarification, Paul. Women's voting rights was carried forth by suffragists not by suffragettes, okay? Suffragettes is a pejorative term. What I'd last like to ask your, your guest, Patouche, uh, since Rose was so obsessed with George W. Bush, she called him an idiot, trashy, um, changes. She should change her diet. She's obviously irritated or get more sleep. But the question I want to ask Patouche is that, number one, are there more indigenous people in the United States now than there were in the 1700s? In other words, is the population actually grown? And number two, Patouche, should indigenous people be grateful for the contributions that Europeans made in science and technology to people who were in a prehistoric, barbarous state, <laughs> state of nature? Thank you, Patouche. I'll listen to your answer. All right. That's Russell. He always likes to throw a few intellectual or less than intellectual bombs. You want to take any of those? Uh, Yeah, both questions. You know, know, I don't know what, uh, uh, let's say, the 18th century population was 
But yeah, we were decimated, uh, and even like uh, Henry Dobbins, etc. You know, these experts on uh, populations. Uh, perhaps uh, maybe there was at the at the time of the European uh, uh, entrance into into the North America, the United States. Perhaps there were about a hundred billion people, um, and of course, you know, all those were decimated from disease or or some, uh, of course, from genocide. Uh, but those all contributed to the to the death of the indigenous peoples. Uh, in, in the twentieth, uh, let's say, current times, I don't know the population. I, I would say it's five to ten, less than five to ten percent of the total population of the United States. So it is increasing. Uh, more and more people are identifying themselves as, as indigenous, you know, as some form of indigenous ancestry. It was a pride as issue there, where all of a sudden it was proudful, especially after AIM. And, and I think uh, let's blame Hollywood when they took over uh, the, the Oscars in 1972 or 1973. And uh, I'll give them credit, the, that old actor uh, uh, Don Corleone himself you know, did such a great job, I thought, in getting making people know about what was happening in Wounded Knee, and, and that was a big thing. It changed people's attitude towards being a native, being Indian. People wanted to be Indian. All of a sudden. Well, and, and you know, let me answer the uh, gentleman's uh, last question about uh, about uh, the, the, the state of thinking of indigenous peoples today with European uh, uh, economics uh, way of life, uh, this modern style. That we're living on today, you know, which enables people to live much more, I suppose, uh, 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 in a state where you can achieve things easier with all the developments that uh, Europeans have brought in. So I think there's this understanding of it and probably some appreciation for it. Uh, but you also have to realize that uh, indigenous peoples, you know, had their way of life uh, before Europeans and. Uh, Sometimes I wonder what what would have been what would it be like uh, if uh, Europeans had not entered in, into the into this area here? Um, uh, would we still be just as happy and living it peacefully within our culture, or religion, and our et cetera, et cetera? So there's always these kinds of, uh, I suppose, questions uh, that that arise. But generally, I think the people do accommodate each other, even as invaders, settler colonialism coming in into the Americas, uh, that you accept what they bring. For example, here, a lot of the Pueblos uh, like to say that, oh, well, the Spaniards brought in the horse. Uh, so they like to say, well, that was a, a big contribution that, they, that the people have relied upon uh, from then on, although sometimes it's said that, well, there was some kind of horses already in this area here. Really? But, yeah, we accept those contributions. Uh-huh. Right. And the horse came from the Spanish. Uh, the, as you said, there was. I didn't know that part of the story, that there already was a, an indigenous form of horse. But the horses that we're familiar with, uh, the the mighty uh, you know, plains warriors riding those incredible ponies, right. uh, those right. were left. They were they were left behind by the Spanish when the Pueblo drove them out. That's my, that's my, that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah, I, at least that's what the article I read said. So I found that it's a it, if it's true, it's an amazingly compelling story when you think about it. Um, so uh, let's tell people about how they can uh, hook up to this event next week. Uh, do you have a website that we could? Uh, well, well, you can register on um, uh, Eventbrite. Yeah, Eventbrite. Yes. And 
there I can read to you. Yeah. That, oh, well, what do, what do you call this registration letters and numbers? Yeah. Is there a, is there an address there that people can go to? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think on Eventbrite, maybe if they if they just write in that title of our conversation is called colonization land and decolonization indigenous perspectives towards sovereignty and self-determination so it's next wednesday the 27th uh your time six o'clock eastern Uh time six right and so if you go it's free it's free i saw i was i I registered myself for it if you go to eventbrite which is a well-known site, Eventbrite, one word, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E-N.com or something. And uh, if you go there and then you uh, search for uh, colonization, land, and decolonization. Patushka, but how did the last two years affect the indigenous people of you know New Me- the Four Corners region, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, what was the impact, and and how are people dealing with that? Are, are people coming out of it? There's still a lot of uh, fear over uh, giving up these mass mandates so fast. Well, you know, uh, I think indigenous communities throughout the world, of course, here in New Mexico too, were more severely affected. Uh, like the Navajo Nation, you know, had numerous uh, illnesses. Uh, they just don't have water, um, and like here at Acoma, the population on reservation population is probably close to 3,500. Um, we had, I think, maybe about 30 deaths. Uh, hundreds of people uh, got got affected. Uh, so many uh, people, you know, just just co- contracted it. And uh, but you know, we were able to. That the tribe, you know, controls its land base by closing off entrance into our land, mm. so our whole community was almost locked down. Um, Did you get support to the state government, the New Mexican state government? Were they hostile oh, yeah. or supportive? They were very, they were very, all very helpful. The yeah. state of New Mexico, uh, the U.S. government, the mm. the hospitals that are provided uh, mm. by the United States government, all provided uh, vaccines. Uh, Right. And of course, you know, then provided uh, funding to to tribal governments, right, or uh, enabling them to continue operations, because uh, our employees were were restricted coming into the offices, and many of our offices were closed down, and they remain closed. To, some remain closed today, right. But uh, we've opened back up. You know, uh, tourism Acoma relies a lot on tourism, so to this date, after two years, we're still. Uh, haven't opened back up to our world-famous place. Um, so our people who depended on arts and crafts really suffered. Um, so not only was it ec- economic depression, uh, but uh, but the health effect of mm-hmm. the, the Pueblo Indian people. And some of the Pueblos that were living the closer to Albuquerque, the big cities, mm-hmm. you know, were affected more than Acomas, who lived 60 miles away from Albuquerque. But yeah, our people did suffer. Uh, we're coming out of it. Um, we still are avoiding the face-to-face meetings, uh, so we're having a lot of virtual meetings. Right. Good idea. And so, um, 
the reason I mention that is because I was uh, did an interview sometime back with uh, Chase Iron Eyes of uh, uh, Pine Ridge and the Lakota people in South Dakota, and he was uh, describing to me just the hostile relationship they have with the governor there, Christy Nome, I think her name is a Trump Republican, and uh, who is actually sending, threatening to send state troopers to take down the barricades that they put to prevent people from driving into the into the reservation. Yeah, yeah, that that's very very unfortunate. Uh, the lack of uh, I think respect, the lack of cooperation, collaboration amongst uh, the government. Uh, we're all here together, and we all want to live peacefully together and work together in survival, surviving. But yeah, you get those kinds of uh, conflicts. Yeah. Uh, I think New Mexico has been fairly stable. Uh, over centuries, uh, they like to say that uh, the Spaniards, uh, the white Americans, and then the Pueblo people basically have survived uh, peacefully in spite of all the other turmoils that have occurred. Right. And water, though, is a problem. I mean, climate change is affecting if there's a real drought happening. Exactly. And it, it affects all of us. So there, that's why you need this kind of uh, collaborative cooperation. And, you know, it's like in that uh, Ira Hayes song, uh-huh. the water rights stolen by uh, the white settlers. Yes. Well, that, that occurs here. Um, so um, communities like, like like the Pueblos, you know, who live downstream, many of these water sources, all the water was taken by uh, economic development from cities like Santa Fe or Albuquerque and little left over uh, to, to the first peoples. Yeah. And their water rights are still remain unresolved uh, on the big river that traverses uh, north south uh, mm-hmm. of New Mexico called the Rio Grande. Right, which doesn't it's even make it anymore. It doesn't make it. The water doesn't make it all the way to the Gulf of Mexico anymore. It dries out exactly. before like it gets the same in. way with the river. Uh, right. You've got the uh, ongoing conflicts over water. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, here we have another call coming in. Uh, sorry to keep you up so late. Here, you're on the radio. No, what's, what's your name and uh, where are you calling from? Yes, Natusha. My name is Greg Coyne from uh, semi-rural northwestern New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the word maharba. That's the first thing that a European ever said to a Native American. That was when Columbus's folks landed. Of course, he thought he was in the uh, West Indies and uh, East Indies, and he thought the folks to speak Arabic, but I couldn't help it. Natusha, what, what, was, what Paul was just asking about with the environment, I mean, so many people have settled now from the Northeast to the Midwest in Arizona, in New Mexico, where there's already horrendous water problems. I mean, my God, that, that's my first question. Where do you see this in a couple of years? Especially for the Native peoples, which have always been mistreated. I mean, my God. And another question, Paul, you mentioned seeing Mount Rushmore. Uh, mm-hmm. South Dakota was my 50th state to visit uh, in my work in 1998. Mount Rushmore was interesting, but much more interesting to me was the Crazy Horse Monument, much more appropriate, if you will. Right. I'm glad you um, brought it up. I don't want to have to bring up everything. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> okay, Paul. But, but uh, for people in, 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 the, in the Southwest with the water, this, these problems are just beginning. And with all these people who, you know, all these gated communities and stuff, the folks, you know, in Arizona, in New Mexico, 
when do they say cool it folks go somewhere else i mean i hate, I hate to put it that way but there you go. i mean yeah so we, that's we, a question that's an interesting question patouche where do you see this in two years i mean if things keep going the way they're going and the i see the the united nations is is coming straight and you'll be here to be at the united nations and, and they're saying that we're at a, a a turning point right now we're at the tipping point right now it's something we have to do something now or it's going to be too late you know, it, it's a it's a tremendous problem, especially I think in the Western United States, where yes, there's very little water, and you see rainfall like here in New Mexico, 12 inches per year, uh, and yet you see like Las Vegas, Nevada, or Phoenix, Arizona, uh, huge uh, uh, water, uh, I just just water, water and water usages without really cons- conserving it. And you see Lake Mead and Lake Powell all depleting uh, because there's just not enough moisture, not enough precipitation. And so it's really a challenge for how, how do humans, you know, uh, survive on the land with very limited water. And that uh, I think really there has to be uh, respect for each other as peoples. Uh, unfortunately, um, money um, goes up uphill to water. Um, water flows uphill because of, because of money. So the the rich and the rich communities, you know, like again Las Vegas and Phoenix, all just begin to develop this water resource, and and a lot of it is come from under under the ground. Um, so yeah, generally, people really have to realize that there must be more conservation. Uh, there must be more understanding that water is life, and that there must be a respect for not only. Uh, for each other in terms of sharing the water resources instead of all only being developed by by uh, yeah. because of money. Right. Are they using it? Are they still building? Are they still building golf courses in the desert and pouring water all oh, over yeah. them? In swimming pools, sure. I mean, that's the lifestyles that people coming from the East Coast to Tucson. Uh, oh, they think and, there's water like there's here water. They think there's water. Yeah. We have a lot of water here, even though there's droughts here too. Sometimes, yeah. There, there's a book called uh, There's a book called Cadillac Desert. You know, there's lifestyles that people want to live with uh, very limited water. Uh, so really, it's it, it's a challenge for all of uh, all of humankind. Uh, of course, then it falls upon the state. You know, like Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. Over how do we resolve water rights that will be fair and equitable to all? And even Spanish well, law tried to, yeah. try to you know, Spanish law did did realize that Indians were all fighting the Spanish for water, but when the Spaniards uh, tried to resolve water rights, they tried to resolve it amicably, you know, where water was shared. Unfortunately, because of Western water law, uh, going to to people who were making beneficial uses of it, uh, it was taken away from indigenous peoples and. Uh, so, in other words, gold mining using using water to flush a gold mine is more is considered a a proper use, while just drinking it or using it on cornfields is a uh, uh, not a good use. It's not uh, considered a good use. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, it's lifestyles or yeah. You know, it's, we have a word for that. We say ass backwards here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the truth yeah, question is: there is there fracking out there? Oh yeah, I mean New Mexico loves its oil and gas, so you got to have right. racket. Yeah, 
Well, you know, fracking, again, deteriorates the groundwater and brings it to the surface. It's a catastrophe, Natush. Natush, I lived for a couple of years in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's horrible there, but there's tons of water in Pennsylvania. And, uh, uh, one thing, as bad as Governor Cuomo was, he kept fracking out, which, thank God. But in, but in the Southwest, with fracking, where there's no water to start with, and these corporations overriding everybody, I know every treaty yeah. with the native folks has been broken for 400 years. Is there anything to keep any type of water rights for the native folks there in, in some place well, in place that the corporations wouldn't grab it like they do everywhere else? Yeah, uh, there is. There is. But, you know, there, there, there's a lot to, to be worked on. Uh, so there's Indian water rights litigation going on right now. Uh, but unfortunately, when... The people who are using it, you know, are loath to to share it, to share it, or to give up any of their water rights. So you're talking about mining companies, or you're talking about electrical power plants. Uh, you're talking about coal mining that uses water, or like oil and gas uh, fracking that you're talking about. Uh, big cities, yes, yeah, so there's always this competition over water, limited water resources. Let me give you one example: a uranium mine. Uh, we live here in New Mexico where there was a lot of production of uranium mines. Well, uh, the uranium is under the ground, and, and it's, 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 it's surrounded by water. So the mining companies had to, what they call, dewater all of the, where the uranium was. So they bring it out of, the, out of the ground, and they just totally dump it on the ground. So water that has collected millions of years, you simply are just uh, removing it, and uh, just wasting it on the ground all through this in order to mine uh, uranium. Yeah. Millions and oh millions, millions of gallons of water were wasted in this uh, in this fashion when uranium mining occurred. Right. And so we can make oh. uh, nuclear uh, bombs, basically thousands and thousands of nuclear bombs. Yeah. Uh, well, uranium, and yeah. uranium is now used in the, in the nuclear power plant uh, right. throughout the United States. You've right. got to have uranium for that right and uh you're on the radio and what's your name and well not, i guess you're not there they are uh you're on the radio your name and where are you calling from hey hello yes yeah paul yes who's this my name is earl from montclair uh-huh paul why did you let russell insult the guests like that with this about uh European civilized bob, you know, bringing <laughs> well. What am I going to do? barbarism. <laughs> what the hell is this? this clown? He's a doofus. I don't even know why he's on BAI. Uh, that guy. That was. That sounded so racist. He's such a clown. He's an intellectual clown. Hey, Russell, still for BAI? We don't need you. Hello. Yeah, well, he's not on right now, but he might. I mean, be bro, that was that was. You have a great program tonight, and you let you let this anti-intellectual clown. You know, and they say something like that, and he jumps through here talking about, you know, right. he's bringing, well, it's still, we you know, know that bringing, bringing natives out of, out of barbarism. Are you serious? He's a clown, man. Right. Uh, millions, me unfortunately, off. millions of people, you know, in America, unfortunately, believe those kind of stories because that's all they know. We don't, we don't allow critical race theory to be taught. In other words, the history of the country as it really happened. That's what we try and make. We try and do it here on the show. 
as best we can. And just like any uh, seminar, you know, uh, you, you have you to know, take the questions. Let him say that, and then, and then your guest actually answer the question. Is you guys should just ignore him and let's let him go. He's a, he's a doofus and a clown anyway. Right. I mean, please. Do you have a question uh, now? We have enough on Russell. Do you have a question for Patouche Gilbert? No, I mean, no, I mean, it's a great program. And, you know, I really respect natives, you know, and uh, as an African person, I respect their struggle and what they've been through. And, you know, Thank you, Russell. the good Lord, speaking Thank of you. karma, the good Lord sees everything. Right. But uh, I was, I was, that just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the guy called up and made this absurd statement like that, and you guys just continued like it was nothing. Well, you know, we anyway, is, well, you don't good, rise bro. anybody to, like, uh, you know, you give them uh, energy by making too big of a No, deal. man, I, I, I couldn't believe yeah. that. I was like, look, look yeah. and he's a clown anyway. He thinks he's some kind of intellectual. You know, he's just a doofus. Russell, you're a okay. doofus. All right, enough, enough, enough. We got it. He made his point. Well, I, you know, uh, we, but, as but we say, this, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead, go uh, ahead. Well, let me also respond. Yes, uh, I think we understand uh, a genocide and the theft of American, all of American land by the Europeans. But the challenge, again, that we're having to live together. And, uh, you know, when I give my talks, I, I always advocate, how do we live in a manner of peaceful coexistence, knowing true well what happened to indigenous peoples or knowing true well what happened at Acoma Pueblo in the destruction of the village and my people enslaved? And my people had having their foot cut off and treated as prisoners of war, uh, and yet uh, we, we're we're surviving today. And right. so that is our challenge: how do we live together in spite of uh, uh, what has happened to Indian peoples? Right. And that's why you know our, our talk is again: uh, how do we survive colonialism? And my talk is is called uh, "Surviving Columbus and Colonialism." Uh-huh. Right, and the, the, what happened, and, and the the uh, what do you think? What is the how could uh, well, how could things? Is there a is there a way of getting like sort of reparations? How do we get reparations? How do we move things forward? And uh, is this like an ongoing struggle that's just going to go on forever, or do you see a time or a day when when you know the weak can finally uh, you know, you know they say the rich man can get through the uh, eye of a needle easier than to get into heaven, right? Something along those lines. I mean, is there a way that the humble will will win out in this? You know, I don't want to be cynical. You know, you know, I, I I like to believe that humankind can develop into better people, and uh, I don't know if America can be exceptional in, in that way. I mean, you talk about American exceptionalism. Uh, it, I mean, that's the challenge. Uh, can there be really liberty and justice for all, as, as the framers of the Constitution made, when it's really the foundation of America is built in, on, in, on an immoral foundation? And uh, if they will not admit to genocide and the theft of the land, uh, then I don't see that uh, things are ever going to get better. But as I talked about, again, how do we survive colonialism? Uh, so we, we learn, you know, the white man's ways. And the battle still goes on. The war is still on. Uh, but now it's more like an intellectual uh, way of uh, confronting the colonizers. And that is really, I think, that the scholarship and 
of uh, young uh, indigenous activists is, is needed in order to frame these arguments over over the genocide of, of indigenous peoples and bringing that to to the front in um, American history. Unfortunately, again, because you know what Americans are saying in, in critical race theory and the notions that you don't want to teach that. So all the history books of Americans, you know, are, are censored. And you don't ever tell the truth of what happened to indigenous peoples. Um, and this is why the movements of the blacks have a lot to con- contribute uh, in, in their struggles in how do you bring to the forefront what happened to the indigenous peoples of the Americas. And it's not only the, the United States, but uh, North and Central and South America that are on this predicament. How do you survive uh, under colonial uh, rule? And how do you uh, overcome it without having to go through uh, full, full-fledged independence and war, of which we probably can't win, uh, at least not in a physical struggle. But uh, I, I believe that uh, humans can change and humans can uh, coexist peacefully, but it's just, it's just an extreme challenge of battling the, this white supremacist way of thinking or that America is, is, American might is right after 500 years or you know, of, of Columbus mm-hmm. invasion. Right. Well, we have some more calls coming in. If you want to give it a shot, two more? Sure. Well, okay, great. You're on the radio. Welcome. Um, WBAI, New York. Your, uh, your name and where you're calling from? I can't hear you. I'm afraid your phone isn't working. Hello? We lost him. Problem with his phone. You're on the radio. Welcome. Your name and where are you calling from? It's uh, Doofus Clown. Ah, Too bad you I know. Keep... Don't get into yeah. it one-on-one. I don't want to get into it. I, I want to say Patouche took the questions in the spirit it was given. Yeah. There was an exchange going on between all of us, okay? That's what's yeah, going thank on. thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank I you. appreciate that. It's a contribution both ways. And living in a state of nature is not a bad thing, okay? Maybe Gilbert can listen and not make uh, insults, because once you start calling people names, you've lost the argument already. Oh, that's the other guy called. But thank you, Patouche, for understanding where I was coming from. And one thing, Patouche, Patouche, we've been taught in the U.S. education system about genocide. I understand there is genocide. I admit there's genocide. It is being taught, and it's been taught for 40 years. Thanks a lot, Patouche. Thank you. Very good. See, it's interesting. We're having an interesting conversation here. And you're on the radio. Your name and where you're calling from? This is Matt from New York. Mm-hmm. Question or comment? Hello? Yeah. Hi. Matt, how are you doing? Speak a little more clearly Hi. into your Hi. phone. Don't don't be so muffled. Like hold it out maybe a little half inch from the speaker and talk. Go ahead. Okay. How's this? Good. Better. Okay. I just wanted to mention, I just finished working on a premium from Minnie Rosenberg. It's called Indigenous People's History of Indigenous People's True History of America. Okay. It's a whole bunch of uh, documentaries. Right. One of them, for instance, is A Hundred Years. And that is about Eloise Cobell, who won, a Native American woman, who won a $3.4 billion settlement for the Blackfeet Indians in Montana. And another one is A Good Day to Die, about Dennis Banks, 
a Native American who is a co-founder of the American Indian Movement. Right. And so these, Matt, I was just going to remind people, these are the various premiums that you can request if you become a, call our pledge line, become a BAI buddy and a, have a sustaining membership in WBAI. You can request any of these CDs or DVDs and to learn more about it, these subjects we're yes, talking about today. But it gives her. It's All a right. very good, very good educational, right. very good educational Premium. Right. And it's a good reminder well, that WBAI is in this land uh, where critical race theory is being blocked at every turn and people are not allowed to know the truth about their history. It shows you the value of having an outlet like WBAI in which, uh, you know, they can try, but they've yet to silence us because we're going to tell the truth, you know, even if it's an uncomfortable truth. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. All right. Go ahead. Well, let me come to, to the speaker. Thank you for uh, your observations. Uh, uh, that book uh, by Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, uh, Indigenous People History of the United States. Remember Howard Zinn's book, very famous book, uh, People's History of the United oh, States. Oh, yeah, I read it. I read it. Well, uh, Roxanne uh, countered that by uh, as the challenge of Howard Zinn, supposedly. Uh, why don't you write that? Uh, Indigenous people's history of the United States, and she did. So uh, it's a very, it's, I, I think it's a very comprehensive book right. uh, uh, that tells more of the indigenous perspectives of what happened to them. Right. And, uh, and Roxanne is a regular on WB on this radio station. She's a regular guest on many different good. programs. And I'm glad that uh, that last gentleman that was talking about genocide now been taught in in American history. In uh, I'm not sure if it's in uh, high schools or. Of course, you can learn about it in in college, but yeah, it really uh, this more truthful telling of American history needs to be done. Right. It needs to be more uh, pervasive. Yeah, oh yeah, I think they were. You know, there's been a move away from any sort of telling of the true story of America since the you know when the when when the young people were protesting the Vietnam War. They began to say, "Oh, we shouldn't even we shouldn't teach that the United States was doing sort of good by fighting authoritarianism or Nazism or something like that." That was the wrong message. It was just whoever we fight for whatever reason, you just have to support it and fight alongside, and you don't need to know that it was for a good cause or a bad cause. It's none of your business what cause it is. Let's just teach you. And I remember the politicians saying this, and and they won. You know, we're going to just teach. Reading, writing, arithmetic, and nothing else. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I just uh, listened to the book of uh, the bombing of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yeah. That apparently I didn't know that, that there was so much censorship. The United States did not want to review of the destruction yes. of Hiroshima and Nagasaki by the first atomic bombs, mm -hmm. and the publisher, uh, remember the New York. Uh, yeah, John Hershey's John Hershey story, Hiroshima, uh, became the book uh, Hiroshima. Really, really, yeah. really oh, the e evil destruction of, of those right. cities, the, uh, the health and human impact upon the people there. So, yeah, those, those stories really need to be much yeah. more forthcoming. The eerie story, the, the the fact that people's shadow could still be seen where their bodies had totally been disintegrated by the heat and light of the blast. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. They, they didn't want people to hear that because that's the kind of thing 
that catches on, you know, and spreads and, you know, kids, you know, it's the talk in schoolyards and things like that. And it's just something, a discussion they didn't want to see people having in this country about exactly the kind of yeah. weapons we were talking. These were not just like a bigger bomb. It wasn't just like a blockbuster 2000 pound bomb that they dropped on a bunker. This was something a little different. Bomb is really the wrong yeah. word for it in a way. Uh yeah, I mean the horror and destruction caused by that uh, by the bomb need to be revealed, so that we don't continue to go down that path again. We've got to learn from history. Yes, uh, and they're they're going down it now, as you say in in your state. I mean, it's a huge part of the finance of the state of of all the states. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, and oh, uh, oh yeah, and we love it. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. Top secret, everything. Um, so again, Eventbrite, right? The uh, it, it's this Wednesday, the twenty seventh next week, and uh, if you go to Eventbrite, it's free. Uh, and colonization, land, and decolonization uh, from an indigenous perspective, and it's free. As I get, did I say that? I'll say it again. It's free. Yeah, uh, we've, we've got we've got speakers. I'm talking on it. Uh, and we've got speakers from El Salvador. We're attempting to do a, a decolonization congress in El Salvador uh, late this, this year, October the 12th through the 15th. So we've got a speaker from El Salvador that will talk about it. Then we've got a speaker from Canada, the indigenous perspective of how indigenous peoples have been treated and are surviving in, in Canada today. And then the fourth speaker is going to be... Uh, from an organization called Red Nation that are also here in New Mexico. So we'll all be given perspectives about uh, colonization, uh, our, where we're at today in terms of decolonization, what is the future of indigenous peoples in regards to colonialism. Any last calls? Uh, we're coming to 2 a.m. here in New York. It's 11, uh, 10, uh, no, it's at midnight, right? Two-hour difference, mountain time. Um, so, uh, this is your chance right now, 212-209-2877. Any last minute questions, any uh, thoughts you'd like to leave us with, uh, take your time and tell us what you think about, uh, about the state of, uh, of America and of indigenous people here and around the world, uh, uh, on the eve of this very important United Nations conference that's beginning next week. I think, do we lose? Yeah, oh, there he is. I'm sorry. I'll let you think. Sorry. Um, you know, New Yorkers yeah, are pushing for an answer. You know, you know, uh, I've been going to the United Nations for 30 years. Uh, indigenous peoples first entered the grounds of the United Nations in Geneva, Switzerland in 1977, I think. I could be wrong, but it was close to that year. Uh, in order to, again, you know, uh, tell how indigenous peoples have been treated in the Americas, Generally, these people that entered the grounds at the UN in Switzerland were from uh, North America. But, you know, we still go back to the United Nations today because we are not recognized as peoples. Uh, under the rubric of international law and policy, only peoples uh, of nation states have the right of self-determination. Indigenous peoples are not peoples in the plural. So our challenge is, again, as I've been uh, talking is that how do we gain respect on in the international level that we are nations of indigenous peoples, that we have our lands, our, our, our peoples, our cultures, our ways, and that we must survive together 
in a, in a, in a respectful way as the indigenous nation, as nation to nation, not as government to government, but as nations to nation. And that's, uh, I think, the reasons that we uh, attempt to get into the, to the great halls of the United Nations. The only people missing at the, at, at the great hall in, in, in New York are the, the red men of the Western Hemisphere. So that's our quest to be engaged as nations of indigenous peoples. And uh, with the, uh, the this terrible war going on right now, and and you know we're talking about nuclear weapons, and this isn't like any, you know, like, like the wars we, you know, Vietnam or even 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 in the Middle East or in Central America. This is a, a scary one, and it's bringing the two big nuclear powers into into direct confrontation, which we haven't seen, you know, in my lifetime for a long time. Um, your thoughts about uh, the prospects of peace in the world, and, and in context of what might be happening in Europe right now, which is interesting, well, right? you know, coming, coming full circle. You know, there's so much disrespect for human life. Uh, as I was saying, the indigenous perspectives—they're all we're all related. That's why indigenous people like to say, "All my relatives, hello, all my relatives, humans and non-humans." Uh, we've got to really understand that. And you know the the invasion of one of, of foreign uh, invasion by peoples on the one other's lands is always wrong. So it was wrong of the European invasion coming over here and uh, committing genocide and uh, the theft of land. That kind of, uh, of invasion is wrong. And so what's happened uh, with Russia and Ukraine is is wrong. And it's terrible that, that so much that so much destruction occurs and people suffer. So we really have to learn that uh, we've got to appreciate all of life. We've got to appreciate that there are other people that exist that we need to respect who they are in spite of the way that they are. So we've got to learn that. And hopefully that uh, in the advance of humankind that we appreciate each other. And that I think spirituality of indigenous people always has meant meant in that way that our prayers are intended for all of the, uh, the great spirit's creation, which is all of the universe and all of the planets and life, including the nations and all the people living upon it, live live in respect with each other, and that uh, that it's maintained and continue to to do so into the future. All right, Thank thanks you. a lot. Patouche Gilbert joining us from the Acoma Pueblo outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, he's coming to New York next week for the U.N. special uh, session on indigenous peoples and also to participate on the 27th in this conference that uh, you can find at Eventbrite. It's going to be 6 p.m. on the 27th, uh, coloniz coloniz colonization, land and decolonization from the indigenous perspective. Thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate sure, it. sure. Have Paul. a good evening. Good talk with you. Yeah, very good. We'll do this again sometime soon. You bet. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. Have a safe trip. All right, and we're listening to WBAI New York. It's almost five minutes after two in the morning, and a very interesting hour. We're going to listen now to some interesting music. Ira he 
call him drunken Myra Hayes, he will answer any more. Not the whiskey drinking Indian, nor the Marine that went to war. 